Blog Talk Radio. Spreading the love worldwide. www.jesusinthemorningradio.com
Y'all bear with me. I'm here. I'm here. I thought I had pulled the song out of the song box, but evidently I didn't. And I thought I moved one, but I left it in there. <laughs> it's okay today in Jesus' name. So listen, we're going to prayer. And uh, when we come back, one more song. And uh, then we're going to uh, start our testimonies. Well, scripture reading and testimonies of the day. As we stand on the brink of a new year, I invite you to pause and ponder a profound truth. The power to shape this year lies not in the hands of chance, but in the fervent prayers we lift to heaven. If you believe that God can make a difference in your life today, let us stand together in faith. I will pray a powerful prayer with you in the mighty name of Jesus. So watch until the end and open your hearts to receive the blessings of this prayer. Today, we embrace the transformative power of prayer in manifesting a year filled with blessings, breakthroughs, and divine favor. Friends, as we stand at the threshold of a new year, let's remember an enduring truth. Every great journey begins with a single step, and our journey through this year starts with prayer. Let's turn our hearts to the infinite wisdom of God's Word, drawing inspiration from Psalm 40, which vividly reminds us of the Lord's faithfulness in hearing our cries and lifting us out of despair. Picture David, the author of Psalm 40, waiting patiently for the Lord. He cries out from the depths, and God in his boundless mercy not only hears but acts, setting David's feet upon a rock, making his steps secure. This imagery isn't just for David. It's for us, too, as we seek a good year ahead. It's a promise that when we call out, God listens, and He acts. In this new year, let's remember that prayer isn't just about asking. It's about aligning our hearts with God's heart. When we pray, we are not just sending wishes into the void. We are engaging in a profound conversation with our Creator. Prayer is the bridge that connects our earthly concerns with God's heavenly power. Consider the words of Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where the Lord declares, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. These aren't empty words. They are a divine assurance that God has a plan for each of us. As we pray for a good year, we are tapping into that divine blueprint, seeking guidance on how to align our steps with His grand plan. Our prayers for a good year should also be a reflection of our gratitude. We should approach God with thankfulness in our hearts, acknowledging the blessings of the past year, even amidst trials. Remember, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, which instructs us to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Gratitude opens our hearts to God's new blessings. As we pray for a good year, 
Let's also pray for wisdom. James 1 verse 5 tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This wisdom is crucial as we navigate the challenges and opportunities that the new year brings. In praying for a good year, let's not forget to pray for others. Galatians 6 verse 2 teaches us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we intercede for others, our own hearts grow in, in compassion and empathy, qualities that are essential for a fulfilling year. Let's also commit to being agents of peace and love in the new year. In Matthew 5 verses 9, Jesus calls the peacemakers blessed, for they will be called children of God. Let us aim to be instruments of his peace in a world that desperately needs it. Remember, our prayers for a good year are not just for material blessings, but for spiritual growth and strength. Ephesians 3 verse 16 prays that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let's seek this inner strength to face whatever the year may bring. Finally, let us pray with faith, believing that God hears us. Mark 11 verse 24 says, Therefore I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. As we pray for a good year, let's do so with confidence, trusting in God's unfailing love and power. As we embark on this new year, let these prayers be our guide and our comfort. Let's step forward in faith, knowing that the God who heard and delivered David is the same God who walks with us today. Let's pray with hope, with gratitude, and with a heart open to God's will. Let this year be a testament to the power of prayer in shaping our lives and the world around us. Now, to all those within the sound of my voice, let us go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me so that you can have all the blessings of this prayer. You may also listen to this prayer daily as you build your faith and come in agreement. Let us pray to our gracious and loving God. Heavenly Father, the Alpha and the Omega, I come before you with a heart full of thanksgiving and praise. You are the creator of all things, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Your power and glory fill the heavens and the earth. In this moment of prayer, I thank you for your endless love, for the breath of life, and for the countless blessings you have given to me. Lord, I acknowledge your faithfulness and thank you for your unwavering presence in my life. I am grateful for all the times you have guided me, lifted me, and provided for my needs. Thank you for all you have done for me in the past year and for all that you are about to do. Thank you for the peace you bring to my heart and the joy that comes from knowing you. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness for my sins and shortcomings. 
I also extend forgiveness to those who have trespassed against me, releasing any bitterness or resentment in my heart. Lord, as I embark on the journey of this year, I seek your divine guidance and wisdom. Enlighten my path, Lord, and grant me the discernment to make choices that honor you. Help me to recognize your voice amid the noise of the world and to follow your lead with confidence and trust. As I face decisions and challenges, guide my thoughts and actions. I pray for health and strength for myself and my loved ones. Lord, be our shield and buckler, protecting us from illness and harm. Cover us in our comings and goings and lead us away from temptation. Let your healing anointing flow through our bodies, minds, and spirits, for by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. In the powerful name of Jesus, I declare health and vitality over my life, and I rebuke every form of sickness, disease, pain, and discomfort, trusting in your healing power. Gracious Father, I ask for your provision and prosperity. Open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Lord, provide for my needs according to your riches in glory and grant success to the work of my hands. I declare in the name of Jesus that this day and this year will be marked by your favor and abundance in my life. I rebuke lack and scarcity, trusting in your promise to supply all my needs. Lord, in your mighty name, I pray for breakthroughs in every area of my life, trusting in your power to open doors no one can shut and to make a way where there seems to be no way. In a world that can often feel chaotic and stressful, I seek your peace and joy, Lord. Fill my heart with a peace that surpasses understanding and a joy that is unspeakable. In every situation, help me to rest in your sovereignty and trust in your good plans for my life. I declare peace over my mind and joy in my heart knowing that these gifts come from you. I pray for love and harmony in all my relationships. Guide my interactions and let them be seasoned with grace and kindness. Heal any rifts and misunderstandings and help me to build bridges of forgiveness and understanding. In the name of Jesus, I bind any spirit of discord and release unity and love in my family, friendships, and work relationships. Lord, protect me from all harm and evil. Be my refuge and my fortress, a strong tower I can run to for safety. Deliver me from all powers of darkness, from all destruction, and all the fiery darts of the wicked. Guard me against the attacks of the enemy, and let no evil befall me or my dwelling. Surround me with your angels and let your presence be a shield around me. Lord, 
As I open my heart to you, cleanse me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Awaken my spiritual consciousness and bring me to full spiritual maturity. Father, increase the measure of my faith and help me to bear fruit in keeping with your will and divine purpose. Strengthen me in my inner being through your Holy Spirit and let my life reflect your love and goodness. I declare that this year will be a season of spiritual awakening and growth as I draw closer to you. Use me, Lord, as an instrument of your peace and love. Let my words and actions bring hope and encouragement to those around me. I pray that my life will be a testimony of your grace, shining your light in dark places. In the name of Jesus, I bind any spirit of fear and declare boldness, courage, and a sound mind. Lord, as I say this prayer, together with everyone listening, I am grateful for every heart that is humbled before you right now. We come in agreement, knowing that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in our midst. We pray for each other, asking that your blessings, healing, and protection be upon us. In unity, we claim victory over the challenges we face. Declare healing for our bodies and minds, and thank you for your constant protection. We declare that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Deliver us, Lord, from all accidents and negative incidents. Through your grace and mercy, we are blessed in our coming in and blessed in our going out. In the name of Jesus, everything is working for us and not against us. We declare that your goodness and mercy shall follow us each day. We are grateful that you made all the good difference in our lives. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering my prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you were blessed by this prayer, type the word Amen in the comment section below. I declare that when all foundations have been shaken, when I'm left standing in the dark, and all I feel is my heart breaking, you still reign and you're still
change. He remains the same. He was that way yesterday. He's that way today. And he will be that way forevermore. The God that loves us in spite of us. God that looks beyond our faults and yet meet our needs. The God that's on our side. The God that if he's for us, he's more than the whole world against us. So this morning I wanted to read a little bit of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, as we are into this new year of 2024, 
And so we're going to read that, but I want to say welcome to Jesus in the morning. I'm your host, Evangelist Barbara Pittman of Freedom Doors Ministries, and I come to you live each weekday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And today is January the 5th, 2024. We are one month and five days into this new year, and we thank God for it. Hallelujah. Thank you for life, health, and strength this day. So listen, in 1 Corinthians 9, third chapter, and the first verse, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. This is Apostle Paul speaking. His writing, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. And hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are not yet carnal. Whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk with men? For while one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered, but God that giveth increase. Now he that planted and he that watered are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto you as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundations can no man lay that lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man work abide which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So listen, this morning we want to remember this. We want to remember to build, as God says. We want to remember to be workers in the vineyard. Not just rely on preachers and pastors, but we want some work of our own. So when we stand before God, we can carry our work before him. And if it's of him, when it comes up, it won't burn up. But if the work is of us, our, the carnal, our natural self, then the work will burn up. But he says, even though your work burn up, you will still be saved. God is more than fair this morning. So we are praying in this new year that we stir up the gifts that God has given in us. We were born with these things. Stir them up. 
Ask God to use us in his service to be a blessing unto his people. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's what we want to do. And so we thank God this morning that he's able. And and come off of the me, my, and I. And God, put God first. Lord, God, Jehovah, Jesus, put that first. And remember to stand still this year and know that he is God. Also, we're walking by faith this year and not by sight. And so we're grateful unto him. I have two testimonies I want to share this morning, and uh, we're going to get started uh, with the testimonies. And uh, we're going to the first one. And this year we're praying for those that uh, go through those violence. We're, we're praying for these uh, women and men. Because men are beat up too. Men <laughs> get afraid. Yeah. And so because sometimes uh, he's a humble man. He's married a violent woman. And he don't really believe in hitting women. And he don't believe in, uh, I call it hair raising, fussing and fighting. But this is who she is. And he's married to her. Oh, we. Yeah. Men, they beat up women because women is the weaker vessel. And many times the woman loves him and she don't want to hurt him. Sometimes it's the place uh, where the woman is or where the man is or the situation, especially with women. If they leave him, they don't have nowhere else to go. If they leave him, they can't afford to be on their own by themselves. They need the help of the husband. And he's violent. Yeah. And uh, we, can't, you know, we women can't say anything to them. Yeah. It's a fight if they do. You know, even uh, asking them questions, where you was last night. That's a big fight. You get beat up for that kind of stuff. But he can ask you. Yeah, so we are praying for the domestic violence situations and that God bring them out. And many times it's because that people are not following the lead of God. You know, I, I myself, I wasn't in a domestic violent relationship, but I chose the man. God did not give that man to me. I chose him, and he chose me. I chose him because he was a worker. He made money. And I was looking to him to be a good provider. He was quite handsome. Yeah, had bare, bare curls on his head, nice hair. Yeah, shape uh, fine. He was a, a strong bodybuilder. He built his body at home. And so I'm looking at these things. He was bow and one leg. He wasn't bow-legged in both legs, just in one looked like him. Boy, when he wore them jeans, oh, I just fall apart. When he put them Tims on, oh, I just fall to pieces. When he saw me, he wanted children. He knew I could have children. So he saw a woman shapely, a woman who could have children, and a woman who was still in a dad's house, quiet, humble, not partying, not running the street. So that's what he wanted for a wife. So we we got it together. God didn't put it together. We got it together. And so it didn't end right. It didn't end up right because we didn't start out right. And if you don't start out right, you can't end up right. Yeah. 
So many times people choose relationships for whatever reason. Nothing to do with God. God is not a being factor in there nowhere. Yeah, it's my thing. I'm doing what I want to do. And look, out of all of this, I had children. Had children. So now it wasn't just one side. It was two different sides. I come from a different training at home. He come from a different training. So now the children... They show both sides, the parent of the parent, the mom and the dad. Yeah. So we're praying again for domestic violence everywhere, all over the world. We're praying that God bring men <clears throat> and women out of these situations because they're bad. I'm here to tell you, they are bad situations, and it does not feel good. But many don't know how to come out. People look back and say, how did I get here? I'm not the kind of woman that a man beat up. I'm not the kind of man that let a woman beat him up. Yeah. They there. And again, don't know how to come out. So we're praying for them. So we're going to take a listen to our first uh, testimony. The pastor, she called me up to the front. And she says, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but God is telling me to tell you that you need to choose life or death today. I got back to my seat and I said, Lord, I don't know if you mean a physical death or a spiritual death, but I don't want to find out. Help me get out of this relationship. I was at the house. He came home, busted the door open and just screaming and hollering and arguing with me from the moment that he opened the door. I sit there, and right when I'm about to tell him something, I feel a hand come over my mouth and just... It was almost like this piece of tape was on my mouth. I couldn't speak. He tells me, he says, well, since you don't want to say anything, well, then I'm going to pack my stuff. I'm going to call my family, and they're going to come and pick me up. And inside of me, I felt the Spirit of God tell me, this is the door. This is the chance that you were asking me for. This is the end. I was born in Puerto Rico, and um, and from the day that I left the hospital, I literally was in my grandparents' car. Uh, never lived a day um, with my with my mom or my my biological father. Wow. I always lived with my grandparents and my two uncles. That being raised with them, they were like my brothers growing up. So I never had that, you know, mom and dad right? It was mom and dad was grandma and grandpa. Um, and my uncles were my brother brothers. And so growing up with them from the day that I left the hospital, it was church every day. And so growing up the way that I did, um, was a denomination that was very much religious in a legalistic way, very much, um, girls can't wear pants, girls can't cut their hair. Um, you know, we, we couldn't do pretty much anything, right? Because everything was pretty much a sin at that point. Couldn't go to the movie theaters. I mean, all that stuff, right? Um, and so uh, growing up that way, at a certain point, it just becomes a part of you, right? Mm-hmm. You don't question it. You get to a certain age where you do start to question because you do 
start to see certain things going on and you're like, why? But why? Um, when I would ask why, I would just get because that's what that's what we say and that's what God says and that's it. You know, it was never, uh, well, let's talk about what the word says, why we say what we say. And so a little bit of the fact with that along with um, not being raised by my mother, you know, that definitely caused a lot of questioning and a lot of I would say, I don't know, say trauma, but definitely I would question myself a lot. Mm -hmm. And so um, it got to the point where, you know, I started to rebel. I got to that age where I started rebelling, where I know that if even if I told a little lie and I could get away with it, I was going to do it. And, you know, being raised by, you know, my grandparents, you know, also for me was just like, but why me? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But I grew up in a God fearing home. And and to this day, back then I didn't uh, appreciate it, but I appreciate it now um, because I had the greatest example of a praying woman, which was my grandmother that mm-hmm. raised me. I mean, this woman prayed day and night, you know, at all at all hours. And, you know, I saw that. It's not that she told me about it. I saw it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that just impacted my life and I carry it to, to this day. Yeah. And so... Growing up that way, again, started going into my rebellious years. Nobody wanted to give me a straight answer. For me, I wasn't getting a straight answer. It wasn't listed down and talk about this is what the Bible says. And I just, I left the church and I left God. Hmm. And so I, um, you know, just started doing me. I got my own apartment. Um, at the age of 21, I became a mom. Um, and, and Mandy, really quick before you continue on. What was your grandma's reaction? Because she's praying for you, you know, and, and she took you in as a yeah. daughter. What was her reaction as you stepped away from the church, from God? She wasn't very happy at all whatsoever. She's definitely that, that mom that she would wait up for me when I would leave and escape. And I would tell her, oh, I'm going to my friend's house. And we were going to a house party or we were going to a club or uh, we were out smoking and drinking. And she knew she knew I was up to no good, right? Mm. Um, so there were nights that she she would wait up for me. And in her own way, uh, she would correct me, but it was more of, what are you doing and why? And let me smell your breath. <laughs> you know, uh, she was not very happy about it, but she would always, always tell me, like, you may not want to answer me, but I'm I'm going to pray. And eventually you're going to have to answer to God. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, tell us about those. So you leave home. Yep. I got my own apartment. You're pregnant. Pregnant. My my own apartment. I'm living with my daughter's father. Um, Nobody knew that I had a boyfriend. So, you know, all of this came up all at one time. My family found out that I was, you know, living with my boyfriend and then I'm pregnant. Like, what am I doing? You know, my grandmother was definitely um, upset at the fact of how she found out because she had to find out through somebody else and not through me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really definitely hurt her like very much, not the pregnancy, but the fact that she heard through somebody else and that I didn't have uh, that, that thing to come to her, you know, and, and tell her myself. Yeah. And so from there, you know, I'm pregnant at 21 and then a year and a half later, um, after giving birth to my daughter that same year in 2005, I become a single mom. 
And during that time, I'm in culinary school, just doing what I got to do to survive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm working. I'm going to school. At that time, my grandmother was still alive, so she would watch my daughter for me. Um, So it was waking up at 6, getting my daughter ready, taking her to my grandmother, going to school. After school, going to work, wouldn't come home till 10, 11 o'clock at night, pick her up, bathe my daughter, and then start it all over again the next day. And then in that transition, of course, I'm away from God. I'm not going to church. At that point, because I was single mom, I wasn't even thinking about it because I was okay. For me and my thoughts, I I, I thought I was okay Mm. until I met my ex-husband. And that's when everything went south. (sighs) Tell us about that. Uh, I met him at a birthday party. It was actually my birthday party. Um, And he was two years younger than me. Um, he had a, a Christian family, has a Christian family, but of course he wasn't in, in church either. He wasn't serving God at that time. Um, met him through my friend. They all came to my birthday party. And then one thing led to another and we're just talking, getting to know each other. He approached me. I really wasn't looking for anybody cause I was okay where I was at. You know, the way that he approached me was in a nice way, very gentleman-like at the beginning. Um, and I fell in love with that. I thought that that's what I, I needed. You know, the words that he gave me and the stories that he gave me was was what I thought was going to complete my story and complete my daughter's story. I grew up without my dad. I didn't want my daughter to grow up that same way. I wanted her to have the family I didn't have. So I thought that he seemed okay. He seemed nice. He he understood where I was coming from. Started off very nice. Um, started off with, um, you know, he worked and, you know, it seemed good. It started off good. And then when we decided to move in together, um, that we were going to take it to the next step, that's when I started seeing a whole other side of him that I was not aware of. That's when the drugs started coming into my house. I knew he smoked, you know. Um, He smoked cigarettes. He smoked weed. I knew all of that. And for me, I'm not doing it. That's what he does. I'm okay. Um, But eventually, without God in your your life, like eventually you're just opening up. Just the the devil just needs just an inch. And eventually that door opens up wide. Uh, Next thing I knew, I was also smoking, um, drinking. There was partying going on in my house. My house was now the place where everybody goes for um to buy drugs to all the the big packs of of any type of drugs you can imagine was at my house and from there we're packaging it we're putting it together and it's being dealt out of my house and at this time my daughter was probably two and a half three years old um and so you know eventually it got to the point where it just got out of control things were going on in the apartment where Police got called, and I lose my apartment. Mm. And so um, we ended up having to stay with his family for a while um, until we got our own place again. He was working, um, and at that point, I had stopped working. um, So I was with my daughter at the house. Um, And it only lasted for a little while. I had to find another place because in order for us to get our own place and be able to leave his family's house, you know, I had to find a job. We did, and that's when the domestic violence, the physical abuse started. 
and what they say about domestic violence is true. It will always start with a small push or a small shove. Hmm. And for me, it's like, nah, that that can't be happening. Not to me. Like, I'm not going to allow this to happen. But at that time, you know, being so involved with someone and not having Christ in your life, you know, during that time, even when I was seeing the things that I saw, because I, I saw, I saw it coming. And so I had the opportunity to leave. But to me, it was just like, no, I, I, I can't do that. Then I'm going to break up another family. Hmm. It was almost like the, the enemy was using that against me. You know, there would be thoughts in my, in my mind, like, if you leave, you're going to lose your daughter. Where are you going to go? You can't afford to live by yourself. And so that, that, that thought kept me trapped, kept me there in a relationship that I knew from the beginning I should have never, I should have never started. I should have never allowed to even get to that point where we did of moving in together. Mm. And so, again, it started with a push, a shove. Then we go from pushing and shoving, now you're yelling at me. Now we're going into not only, you know, physical abuse, but now we're going into mental abuse, emotional abuse, um, sexual abuse. And my daughter is three, going on four, and she's just getting older. And the older she gets, the worse the abuse gets as well. It would get to the point where I would go to work with bruises on me. Um, and they would see it. They would notice it at work, and they would try to ask me. And I'm like, no, it's okay. Like, there's nothing. That's nothing. Hmm. Um, I had a best friend at the time, and, and she would see it, and she was like the only one person that I would even give a little bit of what was going on to because even even then I didn't want to tell everything because I, I, I didn't want to be judged. I, I didn't want for my daughter to be taken away. I mean, the enemy throws so much when you're going through a situation like that, and that's exactly what was, what was going on with me. That's what kept me there is I didn't want to lose my daughter. And in reality, it would have been the opposite. I would have lost my daughter if if it got out or if the the police were, were called. Um, and so, you know, it just kept going and increasingly worse, increasingly worse and more drugs. And so it's now it's abuse. Now it's drugs and more alcohol and more people coming in and out of my house out of my apartment it got to a point where we i told them i'm like I, I can't take this anymore like do you not see what you're doing to me right um we even tried um seeking counsel with his family's church and they would try to counsel they would try to sit and you know speak on it and um he would listen right but by the time we got home it was just the same thing over and over again so now I'm in another cycle of going to work, coming home, to cook, to clean, to attend to him, to attend to my daughter, and and be abused. That was my life for almost six years. And nobody knew. I was afraid of what they would think of me. I was afraid of, of what they would think about him because I wanted everybody to to accept him. I wanted everybody to, to like him. So I would lie. I would say everything's fine. We're doing good. You know, um, money's coming in, but it's not money that's 
that's good money. It's drug money. I was living my life where um, on a constant basis, I'm having to look over my shoulder on a constant basis. I'm like, if there's a cop behind me, I have to worry if there's drugs inside the car and my daughter's sitting in the back seat. Um, the abuse got to the point where now I couldn't even say not a word. I couldn't even ask a question. Um, I would get food thrown, hot food thrown in my face. Uh, I would get dragged out of the car. In the middle of the road, he would just stop the car with cars behind us, my daughter in the back seat, and now you're dragging me out the front seat, dragging me along the cement in front of everybody because I questioned you. And from there, it just got progressively worse. Now we're going into sexual abuse, and it's just like, why? Like why? Then, then it, 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 you know, it had to get to that point for me to start questioning myself and questioning God. And it should, it should have never been, you know. Um, there was people knocking on our doors two and three o'clock in the morning. You know, I lived in a small little mobile home, and there were people come at two and three o'clock in the morning knocking on the door for drugs. Meanwhile, my daughter's room is right there in the front by by that door, and I'm in the back, and it's just like, you know, some anything could have happened, you know, and unfortunately, my daughter was right there at the front of it. It started getting to a point where now he's losing jobs because he's lying on, on the applications, he's not passing any drug tests, and now the burden's more on me of having to work one, two jobs in order to maintain the home and maintain my child. And this whole time, I'm losing out on time with my daughter. And the devil definitely was pressing that and using that against me so hard. I just, I, It just got to the point where I'm starting to hate myself. I'm depressed at this point. Um, I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with, with even thoughts of self-harm. And I'm... I just I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take it anymore. So my mom had told me about a church. My biological mom had told me about a church that she was visiting. Um, at this point, my grandmother had died. My daughter was about two and a half years old when my grandmother died. And I was with my ex-husband at that time. And when my grandmother died, that was like the biggest hit of my entire life. Because all this woman would do is pray for me so that I can become that woman that she knew I was meant to be. And so when she died, unfortunately, I wasn't serving God, you know. I wasn't in church. I wasn't serving God. And I was going through all this hell that I was going through. And she didn't know. I didn't want to tell her. I didn't want. She started getting sick. I didn't want her to know what I was suffering and going through. So she died and that was just like a massive blow to the whole family because for us, she was the, the head of the whole family, you know. And so my mom had found a church, my biological mom had found a church that she was visiting. And, you know, I had told her that I was looking for a church if she knew and, you know, where she was visiting at. It was a Spanish church. That's what I grew up and, you know, I grew up in Spanish church, you know, and that was, that's my jam, you know. <laughs> I grew up uh, with musicians. My uncles are musicians and grew up, they had a band. So, like, my thing was worship. Even, you know, it was crazy. Like, even when I was going through, like, those hardest moments, I rem as I'm, re I'm remembering now, like, I would, I would worship. I would sing and, and, and it would get me out of 
out of whatever it is that I was feeling at that moment, you know. And so she told me about the church she was going to, and I decided to visit. And um, I would go every once in a while. I didn't want to, like, dedicate myself because of what I was going through. Like, I can't sit here and say, I'm going to be here every Sunday. I want to become a member because I knew the situation that I was going through at home. So I would go once, once in a while, and, you know, I would listen, and I would hear the, the worship. Every time I went, I was like, man, just like, I missed this, you know? And eventually it just started getting to the point where I just started visiting more often, and I started getting a close relationship with the, with the pastor, the pastor lady. But I was still going home to suffer domestic violence, right? Especially when I went to church. It was like the worst um, the worst arguments, the worst hurts, the worst everything whenever I would choose to go to church. When I got home, it was, it was bad. It was bad. And so that was another reason why that it, it was holding me back, right, of dedicating myself because I'm like, Lord, here I am like, trying you know and every time i come home i'm coming home to an argument i'm coming home to a battle i don't need my daughter to continue to see this like mm. it's it's bad enough right as it is right now so i i kept going like i said every once in a while and then sooner than later um the pastor's wife the the pastora the pastor lady um started getting closer asking me questions getting to know me but still even then i didn't tell her i didn't tell nobody in that church what i was going through um because the way that i was raised was like you, you don't you don't tell nobody your business right like it's it's like this thing like what happens in the house stays in the house is like this thing like growing up in the Hispanic household. I don't know if it's everybody, right? But at least for me, it's like everything that happens here stays here. Like you don't seek counseling, you don't seek help. Like God will take care of it. Whatever you do, whatever happens here stays here. And for the longest time, you know, the church was very much not speaking on um, divorce or domestic violence. There there wasn't that help inside the church i don't know if because it, it was a small church um i don't know if because it was a hispanic church and you know what i'm saying like I, I don't know why but for for a very long time you know um you couldn't speak about that it was almost like a taboo subject we don't speak about divorce we don't speak about none of that hmm. and so that held me back a lot also from from opening up and so eventually I just kept going, and I pushed through the arguments. I didn't care. I got to a point where I just didn't care about the arguments. I didn't care what he did to me. I needed to go to church, and I needed for my daughter to go to church, too, because I I just, growing up in church, I loved it, and I wanted that for her. Yeah. Uh, Mandy, really quick, as you were going to church, what were you experiencing? Was this just, okay, well, I just want to go to church and because my daughter? Or was it, uh, or were you encountering the presence of God in that church? Like, what, what was happening as you kept going? I mean, I was definitely experiencing, I was encountering God. Definitely. Definitely I was encountering God. I was encountering His love, His, His, His presence. You know, um, I would 
you know, I would get spoken to prophetically, you know, people that didn't even know me would tell me, you're, you're going to be worshiping, like, you're going to be up here singing, and, and you're going to be um, speaking to, to many women, God is going to use you to speak to women, and, and I mean, so many things that were being said, but it wasn't until one Bible, ser- one um, Sunday service, um, I'm going, Okay, I'm going now. I'm starting to go every Sunday now. Um, they're 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 having me on the worship team, and I'm singing and I'm helping in the church. Like now, I'm more dedicated, and now I'm more I'm like God. I don't care what happens. Like I'm here for it, right? You you'll make a way. And every Sunday that I would go, I would tell I would tell God like, please like tell somebody what I'm going through at home. I don't care if it embarrasses me. I don't care if they judge me or put me in a corner. But please, I, I, I need you to tell somebody because I can't. Every Sunday I would go, I would ask God the same thing. Like, expose me. <laughs> you know, expose me. Tell them what's going on in my household because I'm, I'm growing tired. But I would stay because it was instilled in us that no matter what we go through, there's nothing impossible for God. Right? As long as you pray, God can change anything. God can do anything. And I was like, okay, God, so I'm 100% dedicated to you. I'm 100% going to church. Like, I'm here for you. I'm here for it. Like, now I need you to change him. That was my mentality. And so here we are, and my daughter is like almost six years old, and nothing is changing. Everything is still the same. So I remember one Sunday service. And the power of God, I mean, for me, looking back at it now, God told on me. Because I remember that Sunday, the pastor, she called me up to the front, and she says, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but God is telling me to tell you that you need to choose life or death today. And I said, life or death I got back to my seat, and I said, Lord, I don't know if you mean a physical death or a spiritual death, but I don't want to find out. I said, help me. If it's okay with you, help me get out of this relationship, if this is okay. And that was about a month before we finally um, we separated and divorced. And I remember this one, one time probably two weeks before the end, (laughs) Um, I got in the car with this older couple, and it was an older couple that they have been in church forever. Um, He was a Bible scholar. Like, I'm like, I'm in the car with the right people. Maybe if I tell them something just a little bit, they can guide me, help me out of that. And so I, I shared just a little bit about what was going on. And I did not get back what I thought I was going to get back in response. Instead, the gentleman told me that because I was married and because I'm a woman and I'm a wife, that it's my duty to remain and it's my job to stay suffering what I was suffering until God changed it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, God, like, I, I don't think that you would say something like that, but and then I just stood quiet, never said anything again, and just kept going on to church. 
then he started getting like real even more upset with the fact that now I'm staying late now we're at church not only on Sundays but during the week but now there's things going on on Saturdays where you know we have like those special uh, services or that we go to another church and we minister to another church and he's just just making it worse and remember I think it was a Friday or a Saturday I don't remember exactly I was at the house thankfully my daughter wasn't there he came home I mean busted the door open and just screaming and hollering and arguing with me from the moment that he opened the door and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like here we go I'm like Lord and he's just I mean, every name in the book, just calling me out my name, just just everything that you can imagine. And I sit there, and right when I'm about to tell him something, I feel a hand come over my mouth and just... And it was almost like this piece of tape was on my mouth. I couldn't speak. And here I am, I'm trying to defend myself. I'm trying to tell him, like, why are you coming at me? Like, what is wrong with you? And I couldn't say a word. Not a word. I, I promise you it was a piece of tape or somebody's hand that was on my mouth. I would try to move my lips, and my lips were stuck. I couldn't open my mouth. And he's going on and on and on, yelling and arguing and saying how, how much everything was my fault. But yet I was just at home. You're out doing whatever you want here you are cheating on me doing drugs behind my back thinking that i i don't know that i can't tell and here i am trying to defend myself and i can't and i'm like and i'm sitting inside of myself like no like he no like i'm not gonna take it anymore like for me this was the last straw and i want to defend myself i want to tell him that's it and i can't he goes and he's like well you know what He tells me, he says, well, since you don't want to say anything and you think that this is where it's at, well, then I'm going to pack my stuff. I'm going to call my family and they're going to come and pick me up. And inside of me, I felt the spirit of God tell me this, this is the door. This is the chance that you were asking me for. This is the time. This is the end. But inside of me, (laughs) inside of me even though I knew it was the end I was struggling I didn't want him to go even though this is exactly what I was wanting this is exactly what I asked God for for the freedom and liberty to be able to serve him so that me and my daughter could be at peace even so still I was struggling mentally like I didn't want him to go and I felt so stupid at the same time even though that God was opening this door that I was thinking I didn't want him to go I wanted to open up my mouth and tell him please don't go because that's exactly what he was used to he was used to me telling him please don't go and he went to the room started packing his bags called his family and said come pick him up that this was the end and the whole time I couldn't say a word. 
I was like, no, this, I said, I know this is the end, <laughs> but it, it can't be like this. I want to defend myself. And God's like, I got it. Like, you asked me to step in. You asked me to help you. I'm helping you. So at, at the very last minute, while he's he got his bags packed, he's coming and he's hollering. He gets in my face. He flips the sofa over with me sitting on it. I'm like, no. Even still, I'm struggling mentally. I'm like, Lord, but there's nothing impossible for you. You can change this. And God keeps telling me, you asked me to help you. This is the end. This is your door. So he get, his family gets there. He starts going towards the door. He puts his hand on the door, turns to me and says, this is your fault. The family is ending because of you. He opens the door and starts walking out. And as he's walking out, he's yelling at me. He's calling me all kinds of names. And me, instead of sitting there understanding why I can't speak, no, I had the audacity to get up and follow him. And right as I was going, I, I left the house, I got out the door, and right when I went halfway past the door, I felt a hand. It was probably like three hands mine together and pushed me in my chest and it pushed me back I took a couple steps back like I almost hit the floor and that's when I was I snapped and I was like okay I understand I hear you and I went back inside my house and I screamed and I cried and I yelled and I said why and I said why me and here I am lonely again Alone again, here I am, it's just me and my daughter, there's no family, and God said, I got you, I got you, and that's when every, what God promised me, what, what I asked God for, he did it, he did it, and I just didn't know how to take it. I didn't know how to accept it. I didn't want to be alone. But God was with me the whole entire time. And he said, don't worry, I got you. And he told me, I'm your husband now. I'm with you. And from that moment on, it was a struggle. It was so hard to get back on my on my feet um, physically and emotionally. But it was about a year where it was just me and my daughter and God. And I was at church. If you could have left me there, I would be there every single day. And I started getting in, into the worship even more. Now I'm leading worship, and, and, and now I'm ministering, and I'm going to other churches. I'm ministering at other churches. I got the healing that I deserved and the healing that my, my daughter needed, too. Because, unfortunately, she had to see the things that I suffered and went through. Mandy, can you tell us a little bit more 
um, about that process of healing. Um, obviously, you spent, correct me if I'm wrong, you said six years in that relationship. Mm-hmm. What did that healing look like for you specifically? And how did Jesus lead you through that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a lot of crying, <laughs> a lot of prayer, a lot of worship, <laughs> a lot of Christian music. <laughs> um, and being vulnerable enough and honest enough you know, to be able to open up to other women, especially leaders. You know, I finally opened up with my pastor, and I told her what was going on. And, you know, and I was able to have that one-on-one with her. And, you know, that was my healing process, right? Being vulnerable, understanding that it wasn't my fault, understanding that um, I had to learn to love myself and forgive myself first, so that, that I can accept God's forgiveness and God's love for me, so that that can complete my healing, what what I was feeling, what I was going through. Um, and it was a battle. It was a battle for at least about a year, almost a year, of that, of understanding God's love for me, understanding that even though I made the wrong choice, God still was willing to still be there and forgive me and stand there with open arms to receive me. So that was my healing process. Again, a lot of prayer, a lot of music, a lot of worship music, and a whole lot of Jesus and a whole lot of church. And it it was God showing me through Jesus, like, I have you. I have you. Like, I never let you go. I was always there. And it was him just guiding me with with his hand and his love. It was love. It was love because that's what I was missing. That's what I was needing was love and definitely helped with my process with healing and getting through that. Mindy, what is your relationship like with your mom today? She introduced you to the church. Well, I at least gave you mm-hmm. that recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like you mentioned earlier, you didn't, she wasn't there, right, right. As, a, as a mother from the start. And so, so what's your relationship with her like today? Today is awesome. Um, it was rocky at the beginning. We had those moments where we, I wanted to sit and ask her why, right? And those conversations, instead of turning into, hey, here's what happened, it would be arguments. It would be me battling her and her battling me and her trying to get me to understand her and me trying to get to understand, I wanted her to understand me. And so we never really truly got to have those heart-to-heart conversations that I needed, right? But unfortunately, my mom suffered an accident probably about eight years ago where a slip and fall turned into her, like, almost losing her life because of all the operations and everything that she had to endure because of this slip and fall. And even before then, we had started to get back, and we started talking. We were being cordial, and we were, you know, she introduced me to the church and all of that stuff, and we were doing really good. It wasn't the mother-daughter relationship that I had wanted, and and, and my my little girl, like the little girl inside me, always wanted to have, um, but we were able to sit and have conversation now. Now she's going to church. Now I'm going to the same church she's going to. So now we're having conversation. We're, 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 we're talking about God. We're talking about the Bible. I, I get to see her in action because she's a Bible scholar. Like I call her a Bible scholar, right? 
Um, and so, like, um, I get to see her in action and, and, and the knowledge that she has. And so now it's it's awesome. You know, unfortunately, right now at the moment, she is bedbound, you know, because of the situation eight years ago. Um, but I get to have her by my side. I get to go see her um, and, you know, get to share a word with her. And, and it's just awesome. It's awesome. And, and I just wish it would have started sooner. <laughs> yeah. Mandy, what what happened with the uh, with the man from the last relationship? Um, so we once we separated, um, we you know obviously got divorced. Um, he went on about his way. Um, he ended up marrying another woman, had kids with her. As far as I know and understand, he's still living the the same life. Um, that's what that's what I heard. That's what I hear. I don't hear from him, you know, uh, I do um, visit his family because regardless of whatever happened between me and him, his family had basically adopted my daughter and for them, she's not a step-grandchild, that is their grandchild. And so since day one, you know, they have always been there for, for my daughter. So I do have relationship with his family. I just don't have relationship with him. And my daughter, you know, sees them and sometimes even travels, you know, with his family. Um, but besides that, don't didn't really hear much after that. Yeah. But I do, I do pray for him no matter what. And Mandy, you remarried? Yes. After that year of healing um, and getting into the Word and getting into God and ministering, I was happy. Let me tell you, I was happy by myself. It was me and my daughter. I didn't need no man. I was happy. I, I was I was like, God, you say you're my husband. I'm good. I'm good. I wasn't looking for anybody. And then I won uh, one Thursday night in 2012, uh, June of 2012. I went to a youth convention, to the a youth convention that they were having in Kissimmee, and when I got there, I met up with uh, old pastors um, that I knew from Jersey. I said hello, and we hugged, and next thing I know, when I looked over to the side, there's my husband sitting there in the corner, all quiet, and I noticed him, and I asked I was very slick about it, and I asked the pastor, uh, his wife, I said, hey, you know, can you tell me who's who, who's here, right? And she tells me, well, this is the youth, and this is the youth leader. He's like a youth pastor to us, and gave me his name, Raul, and I was like, huh, I got your name, and I remember your face. And <laughs> and that Friday, I messaged him on Facebook. He made me wait till Monday, and here we are 11 years later. Wow. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Andy, who is Jesus to you? Oh, man. He's my everything. He's my husband. He's my savior. I just, there's just not enough words for me to sit here and truly say who who Jesus is is to me. But he is definitely my savior. He is definitely my everything. And he is definitely, definitely my husband. Andy, for people who are watching your testimony who may be relating um, to the domestic violence, right? We know that this is something that is very common. Mm -hmm. 
not many talk about. Mm-hmm. And you've experienced that, and mm-hmm. you were on the other side of that. So to those women who are watching right now, who are connecting with that part of your testimony, and maybe are in that same place where they haven't told anybody, mm-hmm. uh, and they're dealing with it at home, mm-hmm. uh, could you just give them a word of encouragement as they watch? Yeah, definitely. Um, my word is to um, always remember that, that God loves you, that you are not alone to not believe the lies of the enemy because that's what the enemy does. He fills, um, you know, he brings lies to your mind that you, that this is what you deserve. And that is not what you deserve because you are loved by God. You are loved by Jesus. And there is someone out there that is willing to sit and talk with you um, and open up, be vulnerable. That's something I wish I would have done was to open up and, and be vulnerable, to tell somebody whether it's somebody I knew or didn't know about the situation that I was going through. And that's the same thing that I tell anybody is open up, be vulnerable. Let someone know what you're going through. Find somebody that you can confide in, especially inside the church. You know, the times have changed, right, from when I was going through that situation to where we're at today, where divorce and domestic violence isn't taboo. So I totally totally encourage anyone to open up and let someone know and to always remember that god loves you and that this is not what god wants for you amen mandy any last words for the people who are watching your testimony right now um god is real god is love it doesn't matter what you're going through god is always there. God has never left your side. And prayer works. I mean, I am I am the 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 result of of a praying mom, you know, of a praying grandmother. It doesn't matter what you've gone through, your decisions, you know, don't ever feel like you're going to be judged or shoved to the side because that's what the enemy wants us to think. That when we open up and be vulnerable, that we're going to be shoved to the side or we're going to be judged or that um, God doesn't love us. And I am here to say that God does love you, that it doesn't matter what road, what journey that you're you're facing or going through, that God is willing to, to be there and wait for you on the other end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just being being vulnerable towards God, opening up to God. Amen. Uh, Mandy, can you pray for the people who are watching right now, who are receiving your words, who are ready to be free, who are ready to choose Jesus? Can you just pray for them? Yeah, definitely. Heavenly Father, I just I just want to thank you for this moment today, God. I just want to thank you for 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 being love and, and for loving us, Lord God. And at this moment, Heavenly Father, I want to pray for those women, Lord God, or even those men, whoever's suffering through domestic violence, Lord God, that's feeling unloved, that's feeling unworthy of love, that's saying and 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 the enemies filling their mind with words that that they that that's what they deserve. We come against those those thoughts in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. I pray that you would cover them with your love, that you would show them, Lord God, that you are there for them, Lord God, that you are everything that they need and more. 
Lord God, I, and, and I just pray, Lord God, that they would be vulnerable and, and that they would open up to someone, that, that you would bring somebody in their path, Lord God, that they can befriend and that they can open up to, Lord God. Bring that person for them, Lord God, whether they be able to speak up, Lord God, and that you can bring healing to them. Let them know that they are loved, that there's nothing impossible for you, that there's nothing that they may be going through, God, that you don't understand because you love us and you want the best for us and you have the best for us which is love grace mercy and above all else what we need salvation i thank you god and i give you glory now lord god for those chains that are being broken and for those lives that are being set free and for those hearts that are being healed in the mighty name of jesus i ask you believing these things amen and amen Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So-
Yeah. Many times men think they have the upper hand on women and they're supposed to rule women. Now, we're supposed to work together to create, to build. Not one dominate the other one and, 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 and you see she ended up with him not working on nothing, and she had to go get another job, a second job, and be the provider in the house. That's that's not God. That's not the way it's supposed to be. If he's a man, he'd take care of his own. But today we have a lot of boys in men's bodies. Yeah, a lot of boys in men. Some men almost 70 years old still acting and talking like a boy. If you're a full-grown woman, you know the difference. You know, uh uh-uh, no, 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 that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah, because it's the boy in the man's body. He didn't have a father. The mother uh, covered him and, and, and took care of him, and now he's out here looking for women to do that for him. Many women do. Men, yeah, they take care of men. Yeah, but a full-grown woman, she knows better. I, I'm not taking care of no boy. I'm not taking care of no man because a man is not coming to ask you to take care of him. But a boy in a man's body will easily do that. That's nothing for him. No embarrassment, no shame, no nothing. So we pray for people going through domestic violence. Now, let me tell you this. A man and a woman married. And they're struggling, and they're having some problems. So the wife come in to help her husband. That's the word. That's what she's supposed to do. If she's able-bodied, she can get a job and help her husband. That's what she's supposed to do. But not because he's sorry and not because he forced her to. And a beat her up if she don't. No, that's not the way. Yeah. And that's why I stay my lane. I don't mean yeah, you come in there acting like a boy. I got to treat you like you're my son. And then I'm going to throw you somewhere away from me. Yeah, so no, no, no. We pray for domestic violence. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. We have one more testimony to go to this morning. And uh, this is our second testimony. And uh, when we come back, we're coming back with a song. And depending on the time, I think we'll make it back in enough time. We're going to open the studio. So if anyone have anything they would like to say, please feel free to press that number one and come in. You can call in today at 619-639-4609. Again, that is 619-639-4609. And if you would like to get the address to write me, Fox 8032 Fleming Island, Florida. 32003. Again, that is P.O. Box 8032, Fleming Island, Florida, 32006. I'm sorry, 06. 32006. Yeah, and I'll get your letter, your card, whatever you send. I'll be able to get that and I'll respond back. And to Sister Lisa, God bless you this morning. Thank God for you. Hadn't heard from you in a few minutes. Um, I got your last little message from the website, uh, Jesus in the Morning. And so I thank God for you, Sister Lisa. Matter of fact, the 
next song, I want to dedicate it to you. God bless you this morning. I think I owe a dedication, and I never did it. But today is that day. Thank you, Jesus. When I was about 14, I saw on television a program, a documentary about this hallucinatory drug called LSD and was heralded as an amazing miracle drug, but it began to get abused and they found that it had terrible side effects and my buddies began using LSD and they tried to talk me into it and I said, no, I'm happy, I don't need this stuff. But one day, I can't understand why I did this, I thought, I'm going to try it. I guess it was the power of peer group pressure. And I looked up and I saw an hallucination of a ladder of the word Y, starting wide and getting narrow as it went right up through the ceilings of the heavens. Why am I going to die? Why am I going to lose everything? Why is this thing called death going to snatch everything from me that I hold precious? I was cut in two. And for the first time in my life, when I understood that I'd sinned against God, I understood the cross. I needed God's mercy. I needed His forgiveness. Well, Ray, it's an honor to be here in Living Water Ministries here in California. We are super grateful that you've opened your doors to us. For those who don't know you, who maybe have never seen you, can you just introduce yourself to those who are watching on the other side of the screen? Yeah, I'm really a nobody from nowhere with nothing but a love for God. My name is Ray Comfort. You might notice a very slight accent. That's because I'm from the country of New Zealand. I was born there twice. I was brought up in a non-Christian home. My mum was Jewish. My dad was Gentile. And uh, when she met my dad, she got wiped off by a family. They just wrote her off. And, uh, and so I was brought up with no Christian instruction, no Jewish instruction, just left to find my own way. Very, very happy childhood. I lived about 50 yards from the beach. And I trained my mum to raise a flag on our roof when dinner was ready, when I was out surfing. So very, very happy childhood. One thing that stays fixed in my memory is an experience I had when I was 18. I went to go surfing and took my dog with me. My dog wasn't well trained. I didn't bother to train him. His name was Geordie. And whenever I mentioned I was going to, that I was going to the beach, he would just go wild, running around in circles. Happy little chap. And he ran ahead of me down the sidewalk. And uh, he began to run towards the road, so I yelled out his name, Geordie, Geordie, come back, come back. And he was so excited, he took no notice, ran onto the road, and he was hit by a car. And I remember it was a slow-motion experience. I remember seeing his body go under that car, out the back. I dropped my surfboard. It was a brand-new board, just dropped it on the road, ran out without looking, I remember now, picked up my little dog, ran back home, sat at the base of our driveway with the dog in my arms, hole in his head, blood dripping from his mouth. And I looked up and a man stopped his car opposite where I was sitting, walked across. It was the guy that hit the dog. He put his hand on my shoulder and he burst into tears. And it was so traumatic. And that night, we received a phone call from the vet and he said we had to put your dog to sleep. And I remember thinking for the first time in my life about the issues of life and death. Why do people die? Why did my dog die? Why did my grandma die? My grandpa? Why was my mum and dad going to die? It made no sense. And then uh, I, be I began working at a bank. I worked for three years in a bank. That's when I met my wife, Sue. Left the bank, started my own business. If someone said, what do you do for a living? I'd say, I mind my own business. What do you do? My business was a surf shop and a leather uh, gear shop. I used to make jackets just like this to order for people. And I came in on a wave, actually. There was a movie called Easy Rider, which had a, a hero in the movie 
the star wore a cowboy jacket with fringes on it. So I made one because I liked it. Ended up making about two or three hundred. I can make them to order for people within two hours. And so I was very, very happy in my life. Married my wife, Sue. We had our own house. I was only 20 years old. My own business to do what I wanted. And then I had an experience, and I'm going to share with you today, that I haven't shared for 50 years. It's been a dirty little secret. And there's a reason I've held on to the secret. My kids, who are grown up, don't even know about this. What do I share with, with you? Because it's so relevant to what I'm talking about. The surf scene uh, is made up of guys that just love thrills. When the surf was good, they'd take risks. When there was no surf, they were bored to tears. So they're very open to drugs. Five of them actually died. I wrote a book called My Friends Are Dying years ago, which opened a ministry for me. But during that time, I remember they were taking LSD. When I was about 14, I saw on television a program, a documentary about this hallucinatory drug called LSD. And uh, they said how great it was because it helped psychologists and psychiatrists reach back into people's hearts and find out what was really deep in their psyche. And was heralded as an amazing miracle drug, but it began to get abused and they found that it had terrible side effects. And my buddies began using LSD and they tried to talk me into it. And I said, no, I'm happy. I don't need this stuff. But one day, I can't understand why I did this. I thought, I'm going to try it. I guess it was the power of peer group pressure. My buddies kept pressuring me. So I went around to a friend's place and I said, I'd like to try LSD. So he got a tiny little thing about the size of my pinky, cut it in half and gave me two halves and said, take it with a friend. Never, ever done anything like this before. It was very surreal for me to be doing this. And so I took this and nothing kind of happened for a first half hour. We just listened to music. And then I drove home. It was a 10 mile drive from where I was. I do not remember driving. It was just weird. It's very dangerous. And then I drove into the city to pick up my wife, newly married. I remember stopping to let people get in front of my car, just cross the road, and weeping at the thought of all those people that they were going to die. Mm. And I was just filled with this emotion. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, I will not tell my wife what I've done because I know she'd be really upset. And I determined not to tell her. As soon as she got in the car, I just said I took some LSD. It was like my mouth ran off without my brain being in gear. And she just looked at me and said, I'm so disappointed in you. And we had to go to her parents' house that night. For two hours, I was as high as a kite. And I bluffed it. Sue covered for me when I burst out laughing for no reason. I remember seeing an hallucination of my dog, a little white dog, walking about eight inches above the ground, floating in front of the television. I said, look, there's my dog. And it was just weird. And here's where, it, here's where it became interesting. And this is the point. Whenever I've shared my testimony in the past, I've said, as a happy young man, I looked at my wife, who was asleep at the time, newly married, and thought she could die. And I'd have nothing to live for with all my material goods. And tears just dripped down my cheeks as I thought about the fact of the futility of life. What I didn't bring out was the thing that caused that deep thought was LSD. Now, let me qualify this. LSD is a very dangerous drug. A friend of mine around that time stepped off a thousand-foot cliff. Her name was Janet, and she died wow. on LSD. Another friend took drugs. They don't know what it was that he took, but he was in a, a mental facility for 12 months. And for that 12 months, he didn't say one word. And this is a very dangerous drug and it's still very, very popular. But it did open my mind and that night 
when I looked at my wife, it was LSD that pulled something out of my spirit that I just can't understand. It was just so deep, these thoughts about life and death and futility. And I looked up and I saw an hallucination of a ladder of the word why, starting wide and getting narrow as it went right up through the ceiling to the heavens. Why? Why am I alive? Why am I going to die? Why am I going to lose everything? Why is this thing called death going to snatch everything from me that I hold precious? My mum and dad, brother and sister, and uh, everything I hold dear. And that night, I just cried out, why? Didn't cry out to God. Didn't even think God was hearing me. Although I used to pray every night out of habit, I said the Lord's Prayer. But it was just an empty kind of thing that I did to get to sleep. But God heard that cry, and uh, six months later I came to Christ. Now the reason I've held on to that story and not told anyone the secret that I, that I used LSD was because, number one, I was the director of the Drug Prevention Center on the city, in the city that I was in. It was in the city of, and it was uh, on the street called High Street, which is an unfortunate choice of street names for a drug center, High Street. It was called the Drug Prevention Center. But what happened is when I came to Christ that night, when I cried out, I saw the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, By them of old you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. When I saw those words, I was cut in two. I didn't realize God saw my thought life. And for the first time in my life, when I understood that I'd sinned against God, I understood the cross. I needed God's mercy. I needed his forgiveness. So that night on that surf trip, about three hours from my home, I came to Christ. I was brand new on the inside. And what happened was that what happened to me happened in California to literally thousands of people across the country. There was what, called, what was called the Jesus Movement. happened right throughout our country in New Zealand. It was a big deal. Mm. Thousands of people marched on the streets, did marches for Jesus. But what happened is when I came to Christ, a uh, television crew wanted to know what had happened to me. Now, I didn't look like this. This is reasonably well-tasted. The idea with surfers is you try to look as much like seaweed as you can. And I'd arrived. I had hair on my shoulders. It was sun-bleached. looked like plumber's rope. And my clothes were very strange, you know, big floral shirts and turquoise pants, etc. The television wanted to know what had happened to me because it was kind of radical. And so I gave my testimony. And in that testimony, I shared what I shared with you today that I took LSD, and my mum saw it and was so heartbroken that I was a drug addict in her eyes, in her friend's eyes. Well, it was like me taking a spoonful of alcohol and then being called a, a, an alcoholic. But my mum didn't understand that, and she was really heartbroken when she saw that television program. So I determined to leave that out of my testimony. It's been 50 years since I shared that. But I was made a brand new person in Christ, and it was kind of radical uh, because I'd found everlasting life. It was like an explosion of gratitude burst within my heart. And still there after 50 years, still motivates me to do God's will. But I got a printing press immediately and put it at home and began printing gospel tracts. I got a billboard uh, with scripture on it and put it in the front of our house. I gave out tracts to anyone I met. I shared the gospel with anyone I met. I had sign writing, professional sign writing, put on my car. I purchased a 34-seater big bus and had sign writing 12 inches high professional sign writing jesus said i'm the way the truth and the life the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord on the front window of my business i had john 
chapter 3, verses 1 to 16, for God so loved the world, etc., painted it in professional three-inch sign writing so that people would hear the gospel. I got a soapbox, put it in the heart of our city, and began preaching the gospel to people. that did that almost every day for 12 years. So if anyone could have been considered a religious nut in those days, it was me. Nowadays, I'm much worse because I've got everlasting life. And so there's this explosion of gratitude. People say, how come you're so zealous? Look, I'm a normal biblical Christian. When you read the book of Acts, they exploded with gratitude. And at the peril of their lives, they preached the gospel that Christ died for our sins. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's my testimony. That's why I'm a Christian and that's why I'm alive. I want to share the love of God by any means possible. Now, let me tell you what happened. After I wrote the book, My Friends Are Dying, I began getting trusts give me money to print these books and print literature to prevent kids getting into drugs. This is like 40 years ago. How old were you at that time? I was in my mid-20s. So I wrote this book and it became a bestseller. And uh, I began <laughs> to get a high profile in our country as a drug expert. I really didn't know anything about drugs except for that LSD thing. But I had this drug prevention center that I ran. And the reason that was a prevention center is I used Christianity as a means of prevention. If you're a Christian, you won't want to take drugs because you love God and you want to keep your body clean of that which is uh, impure. And I remember at one point, a national television program called up and says, can we come and interview you? Uh, Someone's died in prison. Someone snuck drugs into prison and he's dead and we want to interview about that. And I said, sure, come around now. Put the phone down. I thought, I don't know anything about that. And I looked up and there was two drug addicts that were in the drug center. And I said, excuse me, can you come here? Can you tell me how they get drugs in prison? And they said, yes, they inject oranges with LSD. They put it under postage stamps. They sneak it in this way, this way, and that way. And about 20 minutes later, there I was on national television sharing how they get drugs into prison through stamp poster stamps and and so i became this drug expert and it gave me a high profile and it gave me the ability to share the gospel and from that an itinerant ministry opened up where i would go to churches and teach how to share the gospel because it became known that i preached the gospel in the heart of our city i began doing that for many years and then i got an invitation to go to hawaii and teach so we went there and taught Somebody sat in the teaching, and the teaching I did was a radical teaching called Hell's Best Kept Secret. Let me give you a little synopsis of why it's kind of different. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and that's what we should do, share the gospel with people. But when you look at scripture, something strange happens before the gospel is preached, and that is, it's epitomized in how Jesus dealt with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler ran to him and said, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? And they said, you know the commandments. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. He said, what's that for? Well, it's to bring the knowledge of sin. It's what happened to me on the night of my conversion. You've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. Seventh commandment. But I said, whoever looks upon a woman, that brought the knowledge of sin. It's very similar to a doctor who's got a cure he wants to give to a patient who thinks he's healthy. Patient says, I'm really well and healthy. Should he give him the cure or should he show him the x-rays? Well, he shouldn't give him the cure because he won't want it. Because he thinks he's well. He should show him the x-rays. And the x-rays will show him his neighbor. He thinks, wow, I'm in terrible dire straits. going to be dead in two weeks. What should I do? 
Now he's ready for the gospel because he's seen his disease. My teaching I did called Hell's Best Kept Secret just says you've got to open up the commandments. You've got to show them the x-rays before you bring the cure of the gospel. So a pastor sat in the teaching in Hawaii and he disagreed at first. And so I gave him literature to read and he began becoming convinced that it's very biblical and it was used by Spurgeon, Wesley, Whitfield, Moody, all those down through the ages. They always preceded the gospel with a moral law, the Ten Commandments to bring the knowledge of sin. And eventually he invited us to base our ministry in Southern California, particularly to bring the teaching to the Church of the United States. So we prayed about it and over a three-day period, 13 really weird things happened to show us we should come to the U.S. It was really God's hand directing us. Uh, Just one of those things was I mentioned to a friend, I'm thinking of selling my house. He bought it on the spot, just like that, bought my house. I thought, what is going on? Even my mum, who was Jewish, said when she got real upset when I said we're going to live in the U.S., she got really mad, but then she admitted that three days earlier, God had spoken to her heart and said, we're going to live in the U.S. It was 13 different things happened like that. So we came to the U.S. to bring this teaching, and things were very quiet for the first three years until I got a phone call from a preacher named David Wilkerson, a very famous preacher, wrote a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, and he had heard the teaching. He flew me to New York where I shared it with his church, and then another minister heard about it, filmed me teaching it, to a thousand pastors, and he screened that video to 30,000 pastors. So suddenly I had this ministry that just landed in my lap, and it was God opening doors. And then sometime after that, the actor, Kirk Cameron, from Growing Pains, heard the teaching. He didn't even register what it meant the first time he heard it. It didn't register to him, and he listened to it again, and suddenly hit him how important it was. So he called me, and he wanted to combine ministries. And he kept saying for about 12 months, how can we get this teaching to the church? He wanted it to explode and to bring it to the church. And opportunity came that he got to preach Hell's Best Kept Secret on an international Christian television program. Our website got over a million hits, actually collapsed. And the network said, come back and do some more of this teaching. He said, no, what we'll do is we'll create a television program teaching Christians how to share their faith. And we called it The Way of the Master. Now it's night season, and it goes to 190 countries, so I'm in awe at what God has done with this little nobody from nowhere who has nothing but a love for God. Ray, what was, what was the reaction, even just going a little bit back here, what, what was the reaction of your wife, your family, your friends, in that initial moment when you said, man, this is, I need to run for Jesus, you mentioned that you had a good life, you had a good job, everything was good, and now you're radical, you know, putting, doing all of these things for the Lord. What was the people around you, what was their reaction as they were seeing you transform in this way? Well, my wife, Sue, was brought up in a Christian home, so she understood. She was very, very uh, accommodating. The night of my conversion, I actually called her just after I got saved, because she let me go on a surfing trip. We were newly married. She didn't complain that I was leaving her for three days to go on a surfing trip 100 miles away. So I called and said, are you lonely? And she says, yeah. And I said, well, don't worry, because God is with you. <laughs> I've never spoken that like that before. And she immediately knew what had happened. And so I came back. My mum and dad were, um, my dad was understanding. My mum was a little standoffish, being Jewish. 
My brother and sister were kind of standoffish and they, they've softened over the years, which is wonderful. But uh, I, I can't blame them because I w- it wasn't normal, you know, to see someone transform like this. But I've found, you know, if I could go back and talk to myself, I would say, get your doctrine worked out before you share the gospel. And it's an easy thing to work out. And this is, this is what to work out. Salvation is of the Lord. God saves people. We don't. Because I ran around getting little prayers said by people, getting decisions from something like nearly 30 of my friends. Because I thought that's all there was to it. I'd pray, God, forgive my sins. So you do this and you'll have what I have. And I created a lot of false converts. And I actually badgered my mum and dad in a nice, loving way. But I did badger them. I was like a bull in a china shop. And, and now if I go back and do it again, I'd say to myself, be rich in good works. Because family aren't impressed with words. They're impressed with works. They want to see your faith by your works. The Bible says, so is the will of God by your well-doing. You're put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So if you're wanting your family to be saved, just buy them gifts when it's not Christmas. Show them love. Mow the lawn when you're not asked to. Do the dishes when you're not supposed to. And they'll say, whoa, what's happened here? And uh, works, good works, can speak louder than a thousand sermons preached from the housetops. Ray, who is Jesus to you? He's my saviour. He's the creator of the universe. I don't breathe without his will. He's the one that pulled me out of the grave, so to speak. I talked before about gratitude. Um, I can't put into words how grateful I am. I can't tell you how lost I was the night that I cried out, why? I was horrified at the futility of life. When I got saved, I was like a drowning man who's just pulled out of the water at the last second. And so gratitude explodes within my heart and it hasn't gone down. After 50 years, it's just as strong. And gratitude is the high-octane fuel that drives me to do the will of God. If you follow me around, you'll find that 24 hours a day, almost, I'm serving the Lord. Right in the middle of the night, I'm editing videos for our YouTube channel. Twice a day, I get on a bike with my dog wearing sunglasses. We go to a local college. Twice a day, where I interview people and share my, my faith. And all of that, book writing, etc., is all motivated by the fuel of gratitude. And it comes back to, he that is forgiven much, the same loves much. You see, before I was a Christian, as a young businessman... Long hair though I had, I was kind of clean-cut as a guy when I worked in the bank. If you had summed me up, you'd say, he's a good young moral man. He's married, got a house, he's doing a good job. Mm -mm. I was burning with unlawful sexual desire like every guy. Eyes full of adultery, drinking and nectary like water. And if God in his holiness had done that which is right, he could have picked me up and damned me in hell and done that which is right and good and just, but instead of giving me justice, he gave me mercy. So when I look at the cross, it breaks my heart that Christ could love me that much, a wretch like me. And I don't say that because it sounds spiritual. I mean it from my heart. I'm so grateful that I'm saved from death and I'm saved from the grave and the horrors that this world lives in. To think that there are literally billions of people out there that are tormented by the fear of death. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. They are held captive by the fear of death all their lifetime. And so when I share the gospel with students around at the local college, I say to them, 
you think there's an afterlife? And they say, yeah, I don't know. Do you think about it much? Yeah, all the time. I say, you're afraid of death? And they go, yes. And I look in their eyes and I can see they're thinking, how did this guy know? Hmm. They're saying, I don't share this with mum or dad or my friends. I don't even think about it. It so haunts me, but he's brought it out of me. I'm terrified of dying. And so my motivation for sharing the gospel is an empathy with people just like I was. And we've got the most glorious gospel in the world. Jesus Christ has abolished death. That's what the Bible says. And brought life and immortality light through the gospel. Old Testament, God promised he'd destroy death. And in the New Testament, we're told how he did it. So if you're a normal biblical Christian, you too will be a crazy man or crazy woman. You too will seek to save that which is lost. And you too will look at Jesus on that cross and say, Oh God, you did that for me. I'll do anything for you. So Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my very life, as Scripture says. Right, for those who are watching and, you know, maybe you're saying, I've called out to Jesus many times and nothing happens. You know, I've I've said the sinner's prayer. I've stayed up at night saying, God, help me come into my life and nothing happened. Nothing changes. What would you say to that person that's watching right now? Well, first of all, I'd read the Sermon on the Mount and get a good revelation of the spiritual nature of the law. The Bible says of the Messiah, he shall magnify the law and make it honorable. And that's exactly what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. He expounded that law. Get angry without cause. You're in danger of judgment. The Bible says if you hate someone, you commit murder. If you look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. So every time you look with lust, and for guys particularly, that's like a hundred times a day. You've committed adultery every time you've done that. So get a glimpse of your own sinfulness and realize that if God is just, you would be damned in hell. Realize that you're worthy of death. The wages of sin is death. God is paying you in death for your sins. And then secondly, once you've understood your, your sin against God, ask him to help you to be contrite, to be genuinely sorry, to find a place of biblical repentance. Because the Bible says God grants repentance. He helps us repent because we're so wicked and so hard-hearted. And then exercise faith. Now, most people have got a wrong understanding of what faith is. Some people think faith is believing in God despite the lack of evidence. That is ridiculous. There's more evidence to God than anything. Creation testifies to the genius of God's creative hand. The building tells us there's a builder. The painting tells us there's a painter. The painter could have died 100 years ago, but we still know there was a painter because paintings don't paint themselves. So creation, flowers and birds and trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, puppies, kittens, the marvels of the human eye, the miracle of childbirth, everything we see around us screams at the genius of God's creative hand. So we know God exists. We don't need faith. don't have faith that was a builder. You know there was a builder, because buildings don't build themselves. When the Bible speaks of faith, it means trusting his integrity. And people don't realize this, that if you have a lack of faith in God, you're insulting him. If I say to you, what's your name? And you tell me, I say, I don't believe that. You're going to be insulted. I say, where do you live? And you say, down such and such a road. I say, I don't believe that either. If I don't believe you, it means I think you're a liar, you're a deceiver, you're trying to pull a wool over my eyes. I don't trust you. Now try saying that to your boss. I don't trust you. You're going to be without a job. Say it to your spouse. You're going to be sleeping on the couch. We trust our doctors. We trust our dentists. We trust brain surgeons. We trust pilots. 
We exercise trust all over the place. Well, if we can trust man who is fallible, how much more should we trust God? When he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, believe that. Because the Bible says, he that believes not God has made him a liar. Let none of you depart from the living God through an evil heart of unbelief. So just as you never mistrust your spouse or your brain surgeon or your pilot, you just trust them. Trust in God. Trust Him with all your heart. And don't go by your feelings. If I went by feelings, I'd never evangelize. If I went by feelings, I'd think I was unsaved. My salvation is dependent upon the promises of God. And as I believe God's promises, I have joy. The Bible speaks of joy and peace in believing. If I said I'm going to give you a million dollars in 20 minutes, and as a down payment, I'll give you 100000 right now. You'd look at it and say, whoa, I've got a million coming you know, in, a, in, a, in a half an hour. You'd have an instant joy in believing. Money's coming. You know it's coming. Well, believe God's promises, and you'll have joy in believing. We have joy and peace in believing, scriptures say. So that's the stumbling block for most who never get anywhere. They say, God, I've asked this Jesus into my heart, nothing happened. Well, there's this lack of genuine deep repentance and a lack of trust in the promises of God. He has faithfully promised. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, but he was strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he is able also to perform. So, believe God's promises. Hmm. Ray, how long have you been faithfully walking with Jesus now? It was April the 25th, 1.30 in the morning, 1972. So it's something like 51 years or something like that. What is the, the greatest lesson in, in these last 50 plus years of you walking with Jesus? What is the greatest lesson that you've learned as you've been walking with him? It's what I've known for all the time of being a Christian, and that is lay it all down. Silly little kid story, or silly kid's little story, about a train... Uh, that wanted to be free from the confines of the track. It was called Tootle or something like that. It come down this hill. It look over at the lambs and the little ponies leaping in the fields, and he was envious. He didn't want to be stuck on those tracks. So one day he jumped. The, one day he jumped the tracks, and all he got was disaster, because a train isn't designed to find freedom leaping about in a field. It's designed to find freedom within the confines of the track, and that's the key to successful Christianity. Jesus said, come unto me all that labor and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's a yoke. And learn of me for I'm meek and lowly of heart and you shall find rest your soul. So become yoked to Christ. Give him everything. There's nothing in my life that I've held back. About a month after I was a Christian, I remember kneeling down in my, my business and just saying, God, I give you everything. I realize what I've got now. I've got everlasting life. Nothing else matters. I give you my business. I give everything to you. And I think the next day, a guy I didn't know walked into my store. And he says, you're out of here. You don't have a lease. Get out. I've bought this place. And I was out. I had no business. And I started making jackets from home. And the city came around and says, oh, you can't do this. This is manufacturing in a residential area. You've got to get out of here. So I got kicked out of my house making jackets. And that made me move to the square in the heart of town where I began open-air preaching. So it seems that God's hand guided me. But that key, that key was laying it all down that day. 
Nothing is held back. He, he gave me everything. The breath I breathe is by his permission. I have eyes because he gave them to me, a brain that works because he gave me a mind that works. Mm. And so I, I realize that it's my reasonable service. And Paul says to the Romans, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, they present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So lay it all down and he'll give it all back. Ray, I just want to want to honor you. Um, you know, part of the the reason why this channel exists is because you you've been so adamant in sharing the gospel. And uh, in the moment that I gave my life to Jesus, I was looking for the gospel because somebody at my church asked me. One of my leaders asked me and said, "What is the gospel?" And I couldn't answer. I couldn't answer what the gospel was, and so I began searching, and I came across your channel. And I was, honestly, I got bored. And the reason I got bored is because I was like, he's, he's saying the same thing over and over. I was like, why is he saying the same thing? I didn't know what the gospel was, you know? And uh, at some point, the Lord revealed to me, he's sharing the gospel. And it came alive in my life. And, and that's when I, I truly believe through that seed and through other seeds that were planted in lots of prayer, obviously, from family and friends, um, I laid down my life completely. And I think that's why... A major part of why we're here. So I just wanted to honor you um, for your work and what you have done and what the Lord has done through you. For those who are watching, who are in that place, who maybe are listening to you right now and are saying, you know what, I I want to be all in. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to have what, what Ray has and I want to be there. I want to do that. Could you pray for those who are watching right now? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you for sharing that. It's very encouraging. Father, we pray for those that are watching, for any Christians that have not laid it all down, that this would be the moment that they present their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Help them to understand that uh, you have the right to everything they have because you're the maker of their soul and body and every blessing that's come their way came by your permission. So may this day they be truly born again May there be a spark, a fire, uh, begin within their lives where they say with the disciples, we cannot but speak that which was seen and heard. And may you use them in a wonderful way to reach this dying world with this glorious gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section, uh, if you're...
Because, you know, I always wanted to know what triggers a, a drug abuser to abuse drugs. How did you get there? What started all of this? I always wanted to know because I was always afraid. Even to smoke marijuana, I was afraid. But pressure, just like he said, pressure sometimes will make you do things uh, that you don't want to do. And being very young, you don't know all of this thing that you can just say no in a one way. Yeah, and never deal with these people. But there were women, I asked this one woman what was going on. She said she was in college, and she hooked up with these girls in college. And then they started uh, shooting drugs in front of her which I'm sure they had ganged up together and said, you know, let's get her in because she had money every day. She had money every day. I think she worked, and then her parents, you know, made sure she was all right financially while she was attending college. So they saw that, and they drew her in. And so she went in, and they, uh, she said they tied the thing off on her arm, and then they told her about a pinch. They stuck it in her arm and, you know, pushed the cooked liquid heroin in her. She said, and all she could do is nod. She would hallucinate, but she would nod. And she said she couldn't stand cocaine because she liked it, that nod. 
She showed me the tracks on her neck and her feet. Her hands were big and her hands. She said, wherever you can shoot it, you shoot it. When you wake up in the morning, you need it right there on the uh, nightstand by the bed, ready to go. Yep, that's what she told me. Before you go to bed at night, you have. When you wake up in the morning to get your day started, you got to have the hair on right there by the bed. No matter where you are, where you wake up at, you got to have it ready that you can shoot it, you know, cook it or whatever you got to do and shoot it. Another one, she said she met this guy. And uh, the guy was all that GQ'd and all of that. And she said, the next thing she know, um, and she had a, a a decent position at the sheriff's office. I want to throw that in there. She said the next thing she know, um, she was shooting dope, heroin and cocaine mix. They called it speedballing back in the day. And she said the next thing she know, dope was being sold out of her house. She said she shot it in her neck. And anywhere she could. And she told me this. She said, Bob, if anybody ever offer you drugs, cocaine, heroin, pills, whatever it may be, she said, they are not your friends and get away from them. And I had a cousin husband. He asked me one time, he said, and, and this cousin and we were kind of close. He said, have you ever did uh, coke before? I told him no. He said, well, you know, cocaine is a woman's high. From that day to this one, I never spoke to him again. Do you hear me? Why? She said, anybody offer you drugs or dope, get away from them and never be bothered with them again, in other words, because they are not your friend. She said, Bob, drugs will make you sell you. I'm like, what? She said, yeah, Bob, you sell yourself. Uh, as a prostitute, sell yourself into slavery. As long as they giving you the drug. She told me, she said, this thing will call you by your name. Now, you know that's the spirit of the devil. That's an evil. I often wondered about that. How you get here? But many gave me their testimony. Just like this lady here, she loved this man so she didn't stop what started. The minute it's her house, the minute she saw him smoking weed, it was time to dismiss him. You got to go. I can't have that in here. Whether I have children or not, I can't have the weed smoke. I don't smoke weed and I don't want to smoke it. I don't want to get it in my house. You got to go. <laughs> But many times they continue to let this go on. Somewhere in their mind it's not going to get no worse than this. He's going to come home and smoke a little weed and that's it. Uh-uh. He started this because he had other things in mind and he tested you to see how far you would allow it to go. Yeah, sometimes it's women. I had one friend. Remember, he never drank. He never smoked cigarettes. He never did nothing. And one day he called me, I'll never forget it. 
and he told me he had met these girls, and he was like, oh, we bought uh, this, this, that. I said, what? He, he had got with them, and they had talked him into trying crack. The next thing I know, he was selling dope, selling crack. Ended up getting shot. He had a beautiful young lady with some children. And I don't know why he never married her. She was hardworking, and she was about the family life. But the next thing I know, he got shot. His parents always came to his rescue. They had to come from out of town to Jacksonville to get him. I'm like, what in the world? But she told me, she said, Bob, this will make you sell you. It calls me by my name. Had one, she said one time, um, she was tired of shooting heroin. And she said she had the drugs and everything, cooked it, pulled it up in a syringe and shot herself, you know, tied off her arm, shot herself. And the spike was hanging out her arm, she said, and she was praying, Lord, please. Lord, please stop me from this. Yeah. But, you know, I don't mind talking to people. And for some reason, a lot of times people feel comfortable in talking to me. And where we were, there was a place where everybody kind of knew about everybody. You may not know what started a journey or whatever, but you knew they was in there because they did wrong. And your wrong don't trump my wrong, but wrong is wrong. You may have murdered somebody. I may have been a thief. Guess what? Nonetheless, we ended up in the same place, and we both did wrong. So what could I say about your murder uh, when I'm a thief? Yeah. I, I saw women there who did some horrific things. I've seen women that paid for weddings with credit cards that wasn't theirs. A $30,000 wedding. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Seeing people, their family was rich. And nothing they wanted, they basically, within the confines of the prison system and what they offered inmates that they couldn't have. All kind of women for embezzling money from companies. I'm not talking about seventy-five dollars, maybe seventy-five thousand, a hundred and seventy-five thousand, a half a million dollars. All these kind of things. And see, people often will tell you birds of a feather flock together. So a lot of times, these type people, uh, you basically came came in for what they came in. And they feel like they know you because they know themselves. And these are the kind of people, we are the kind of people that do this. We don't murder. We don't, uh, you know, rob nobody with a gun. But we still uncover. When I was there, it was these women, and they came to me, and they said, Bobby, you're such a nice person. But they had found out what my charge was. Tiding, and it had never been 
named that before or really done like that before. And so they found that out. So they think of birds of a feather flock together. They have bought me out of the Spiegel's catalog white T-shirts, jeans. Yeah, because see, they had money. Their families had money. So they wanted to look out for me. Yeah. Murderers, they stuck together. They understand each other's language. Dope shooters, dope abusers. They, yeah. I saw women now with hands so big and swole, big black round circles on their hand that was deep in their hand because that's where they started to shoot the drugs. And the hand would never go down. Uh, legs. Some never wore shorts because up and down their legs, they had all of these long, dark tracks. Yeah, black. look really ugly. Um, all, all kind of things that people were involved in. I got to talk to women uh, who had been there in prison three or four times. I'm like, what in the world they like about this right here? Well, what's fun and so good about being in there? They went back out and they couldn't stop from doing bad things, criminal things, you know, evil things, all kind of stuff. And see, I was never one uh, that liked women in that way, you know what I'm saying, in, in a physical way like a man, uh, like a woman. I, I was never one of that. It, it has always been a man for me. i never been curious. i never had no... Uh, thoughts about that, but I have had plenty of thoughts about men. <laughs> that I have had. They call it lust. And I have repented, and I'm good. And I still love men today. So there were men there across the street, and they would come over to repair things. And there was a guy there from Miami. I knew he was from Florida because of the white gold in his mouth. <laughs> I said to him, yeah, boy, you from Florida. And so we got to chat. You know, I worked in the main warehouse, and the officer over there, he allowed us to chat, you know, sometimes. And so we got to know a little bit about each other and stuff like that. And we couldn't have gum. We couldn't have chewing gum. And they could. So he would throw, we call it a kite. He would throw gum over there. And when you went out there, you just pick your little package up and, you know, come on. You didn't even take time to put it in your pocket. You just held it tight in your hand and, you know, went on inside and put it up. So different things, you know, that took place. In that. You have to have a strong mind, I want to tell you that. If you don't have a strong mind, that's where you need to go. And some people say, oh, it sounds like it's not all right. It's not a place where you want to be. Take my word for that. On Sunday afternoon, I might want to take a drive. I can't do that. On a Saturday, I might want to go out and shop. I can't do that. But take a shower privately in a private bathroom. You can't do that. There's like three stalls. While you having your shower, two more women showering as well. You might go in the bathroom and there's a fight. There's a stabbing. 
Yeah, in the bathroom. So you don't. You, that's not where you want to be. You might be in your bed sleeping, a fight break out, and it's five, six people in the fight. They may move your bed because they're fighting. That's not where you want to be. Tell your daughters. Get yourself together. This is not the place for you. This is not where no lady wants to be. But God allowed it to me because he taught me some things. I needed to know these things for the sake of ministry. And to be honest with you, I can't do it like most people. Oh, the system got me. No, the system didn't get me. I got myself. The system kept turning me loose and trying to get me to straighten up. I wouldn't do it. I kept doing what Barbara wanted to do. I kept running checks from one bank to the other, getting the bank money. Wouldn't stop. And with talk cash, it's hard to stop doing something that's good to you. What? You're doing wrong. You're doing evil. These people have jobs. And the, and the cashiers are, are, are giving you the bank money. What happened to these people? What happened? They could have had families, children, whatever. Never gave it a second Give me the money. That's all. A coward way of stealing. But when I tell you when God comes in, the scripture says this, and I know it to be the truth. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things has passed away. And behold, all things has become new. God will make you over on the inside, and it will show on the outside. Once he came in, and he fixed me on the inside, the clothes I used to wear, I didn't desire to wear those anymore. It was a new day for me. I wanted to dress as the coming of holiness, for he is holy. Whatever I did, I wanted to do what was pleasing and acceptable unto God. I didn't care what the world and nobody, family member, nobody else thought. If I believe this is what God requires, that's what I did. And that's what I wanted to do. He made me for his pleasure. I wanted to please him. I wanted to do the things that he could accept. So we are praying today for domestic violence. We're praying for those that are drug abusers, alcohol abusers, uh, people who can't get out, got in but can't get out. My parents used to tell me, too easy to get into but hard to get out of. Some people know to go in here first, but then there are those who don't know. But we're praying for them all because we know God to be a deliverer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, he's able to see us through. We're thankful unto him. Listen, I want to play this dedication for Sister Lisa this morning. And uh, when we come back, if no one else has anything to say, then I will pray us out. But if there's anyone have something they would like to say, feel free to press that number one and come in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. I'm looking. I'm looking for one for her. All right. I think I played this one. All right. We're going to this one dedication for Sister Lisa. And when we come back, if anyone has something to say, we have a little time, please feel free to press that number one and come in. 
Dedicating this one to you, Sister Lisa.
And Father, we ask all again in Jesus' name. And Lord, we ask that you would touch and heal Sister Jerry this morning. Raise her up again, O oh God. Not according to our will, but the will be done today. In Jesus' name, we ask it all. Amen and hallelujah. Bless our going out. Bless our coming in today, Father. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. May the Lord, Lord watch between me and be while we are absent, one from another, in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day, and I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you today. January the 5th, 2024, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye, and we are going to our last song uh, of the morning. And after this song, I won't be coming back today. God bless you. Have a blessed day. I have to cry sometimes So much trouble Makes me cry sometimes I lay awake at night But that's alright Cause I know
Oh, my God. 